This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey there, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Guy Jeans. And today I have a very talented human being with me by the name of Bernard Yin. He's an amazing guitar player. He's a fly fishing guide, loves to surf, loves the great outdoors, and uh, just recently started doing some work with Cal Trout, and uh, we're going to talk to him about that. Let me see if I can get him on the phone. Bernard. Yes, Guy. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of... Uh, little bit of everything, be it whatever, personal yeah. paperwork slash bureaucracy to <laughs> to checking the tides, to checking river levels, to uh, waxing down my surfboard. So. Did you hear uh, what just what Yvonne Chouinard just did? I did, and that's a cool, that's definitely a cool thing to discuss. Um, my gosh. I, I am so blown away, and... Uh, um, it, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things where you wish that other people beat him to it just to say that there are other people who care. Um, yeah. and you know, and he's trying and I don't know if it's a perfect solution, but you got to start somewhere. And, uh, I think we've seen the way he, that company is managed. It always seems to be pointing into a direction of trying to make the world a better place. You know? Yeah, for sure. And and you guys, your band, which we're going to talk about, is aren't you guys playing there like on Saturday or some sometime soon? Or did you already? Yeah, play? you are correct. We are playing on Monday, the nineteenth, at the Ventura store, which is super cool because that's sort of Ground Zero Patagonia. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's. It's kind of like the a reception hang before a screening of a movie called uh, the physics of longboarding and nice. um, the, uh, the producer director, I guess, you know, the person behind it is a woman named Lauren Hill, who I I've never known much about, but she's really involved with uh, surfing and uh, environmental things kind of, you know, blending it all together. So her film is a perfect fit for Patagonia and, um, yeah, I'm just super, super stoked. I love playing these things. You know, it's a, it's a fun type of gig. I, I'd rather play gigs like these than sometimes the gigs that 
people associate more with uh, being a glamorous musician, you know? You know, uh, Patagonia is such an amazing uh, company, you know, and uh, I'll tell a quick little story real quick, but uh, Bernard or um, uh, Yvonne was uh, um, really instrumental in helping me get started in my guide business um, and gave me a few pointers and stuff when I just was starting and uh, it was pretty awesome. You know, um, he let me, let me some waiters for my clients. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, just an amazing um amazing company along with uh, a guy named chipper who's like the the world frisbee champion guy who, who was the reception Ooh. but he he was um he was real instrumental in helping me get some waiters and stuff like that and a few other people at the company but what an amazing company um what 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 are you guys going to do are you guys going to play a set there or just kind of uh jam in the background yeah right right we are uh you're correct we're going to perform a set um Again, right before the film, and uh, it was uh, fun. it came to us. Actually, it actually came to us through a guy named Josh, who was uh, um, part of the team at Patagonia's shop in Santa Monica, and they've the Santa Monica shop has been really behind um, the band. And uh, when he he actually moved over to Ventura, and then they were starting to assemble this event, and so he threw our name in the hat. So that's how that came about. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun too, because, you know, it's our music when I'm, when I'm creating and playing music, especially in the context of this band, um, Par Avion, um, it's, uh, I'm visualizing in my head, it's all about water. I'm thinking rivers and, <laughs> and, and the ocean. And uh, of course the tradition of surf music, which is a huge influence is technically around, you know, revolving around water water culture uh it's the only some people like to say it's the only genre of music uh created after a sport which you know it's kind of fun to say that i don't really think that's the case i think it was let's we talk, all know it was just yeah, let's young talk, people who want yeah you know. let's talk about that for a second you know that was one of my questions since we're we're on your band um and i hope i pronounce it right par avion or do you guys that, that's we're closer than ninety nine percent of the okay. people out there. So thank okay. you so much. We're, we're taking you to France. <laughs> so, if you wouldn't mind um, letting people know what what does that mean? Well, um, uh, the literal translation is by plane, and okay. it's it's inspired by the old uh, airmail stickers that you know, if you sent uh, a letter and you sent it via airmail, you'd have a sticker that said "Par Avion," and they even issued. You know, it was even called that, so to speak, uh, stateside here in the United States. So if you went to the post office and said, oh, I'm going to send something via airmail, sometimes the sticker or the stamp would actually say par avion. So it was sort of like this, you know, this kind of universal catchphrase, meaning, you know, you're sending something airmail instead of uh, whatever, by land or by sea, I guess. Um, and uh, okay. it was just a fun word we wanted to, when we were kind of, uh, in, in the early days of the band, we were just thinking of something that was a little bit international, a little exotic, and maybe implied, yeah. uh, you know, implied travel because we we like to incorporate genres from different parts of the world and different influences, and so we're just you know, we're just trying to be a little worldly. Of course, that's you know impossible because it's a big <laughs> world with a million different types of music and stuff, but, uh, you know, we do what we can. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are, 
are usually a three piece, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 nimble. Uh, in a perfect world, I would love to have other musicians participating. Um, sure. But uh, but logistically and time management and uh, you know we're not rich and famous enough to say oh let's get the Tower of Power horn section <laughs> and the you know yeah. like for this one gig yeah. <laughs> at Joe's bar right. Uh, well, it's going to be fun too. Is uh, you guys are going to be playing at the California Fly Fishing Open October eighth, um, which is always a lot of fun, and and uh, and my band is playing as well. So usually we we'll hopefully get you up to play a song or two with us and jam, which would be a blast as usual. I would be so into that, and uh, I, I always get a chuckle when that topic comes up because last <laughs> time I did that, I think that one song lasted two hours. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, yeah, and and we've jammed together down at the uh, the Carp uh, Throwdown as well with uh, Conway and had had a blast too, just jamming, yeah. having fun. Yeah, and that, and thank you so much for. Uh, um, I mean, the, it's just so, you know, you, you've helped nurture that Kern River world uh, as an angling destination so brilliantly over oh, the man. last many years now. I've lost count of how long you've been, um, you know, really just uh, stimulating everything up there. And uh, Thanks, man. Um, but, but, it, but I'm so entertained that you and I both, you know, enjoy living in a world where, you know, we put time into Mother Nature, but we also – can't help but make some noise and act like idiots on stage. You know? <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, so what what makes uh, surf music? I mean, why why would it be called uh, surf music? Is it the the sound of the guitar? Is it uh, the beat? Because um, it does it definitely has a distinct sound. And yeah. you know what, what? How does that how does that all come about? How does that sound come well, about? Right. Well, there. There are a few answers that are that sort of kind of overlap in a funny, what's the word, the Venn diagram, where you know the early days um, of what I think the purists would refer to as surf music was guys in the maybe early '60s in primarily Orange County and Inland Empire and Southern California, just playing instrumental bands with, um, you know, where there's minimal or no vocals and yeah. if i remember correctly that was sometimes a byproduct of them just not having access to a pa or none of them wanting to sing um but realizing that it was fun just to play music uh without vocals and um you know at the time there weren't like all these uh, a variety of pedals and you know the technology was still evolving i mean it's always evolving and i think reverb was a was a sound that really seemed to uh, to appeal to these bands. And yeah, personally, I mean, I think it you know it fills out the room if you're a small group, three or four people, and right, uh, and you know you're kind of stripped down. You know, add a little reverb and it kind of thickens things up. I mean, I don't know if the motives were you know Dick Dale likes to say, oh yeah, the reverb is like, or he used to say, you know. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, you know, the, oh yeah, the reverb reminds me of the sound of the surf or, you know, the wash of the, the wake breaking wave and all that. And okay. it's fun to think that. And, um, and, you know, you add a ton of reverb or echo to a certain guitar sound and it does transport you, you know, and 
So I think uh, it, you know, music is such a fun place to go for a certain uh, high, you know, absolutely the, the, the euphoria of listening to music or playing it, you know, it doesn't really matter which, um, and uh, reverb I think contributes to that. And uh, so early surf music was, was that. Um, and then I think British invasion had an influence and generated stuff like Jan and Dean and the beach boys where you had, you still had that twangy get, uh, reverb filled guitar sound, but of course you suddenly had these, you know, pop songs, um, with harmonies and, you know, singing about the lifestyle. Um, right. I don't like that kind of surf music as much because I'm kind of more of a visceral, uh, rebellious sort, if you will. And all that stuff, it's so, so much of it is so bubblegum, even though it was a lot full of innovations in its early days. But, um, but yeah, you know, bragging about your car and bragging about your ten girlfriends or whatever—it's—it's it's mm-hmm. not really that—that's uh, <laughs> um, that's not my mission as a musician. And, yeah. and, that, and surf music doesn't have to have all of that. Um, and then maybe last but not least, for now, there—you know—there's this whole lifestyle element that's kind of come back into the picture, but that has nothing to do with those traditional those traditions of surf music. So you know, you take Jack Johnson or Right, Donovan Frankenrider, or even the Red Hot Chili Peppers, or Sublime. You know, everybody loves the. You go to a surf resort anywhere on planet Earth, and they're playing. You know, Sublime and Bob Marley, and right. It and you know, Bob Marley was not uh, super concerned about surf culture or the sandbars at you know (laughs) at at Sea Street. So when you guys surf music, <laughs> yeah. When you guys are um, when you're playing and and your band and is your wife um, Rebecca, and yeah. and then you guys have you know I, I believe like a different drummers or do you guys have a steady drummer? I've seen you play with mm-hmm. a different drummers a few times. Yeah, we uh, it's kind of a rotating or what is it revolving door or musical <laughs> chair musical chairs might be the best term. We 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 pride ourselves on seeking out clever and inspired drummers and it's it's not been intentional, you know. We'd rather have somebody that sure uh, that calls us that, you know, randomly you know, in the morning one day and just says, Oh my God, I have an hour free. Let's get together. And I, I want to work on this idea. You know, we, I, I still live in this fantasy land where, you know, you get together with people and you make noise and something good happens. Um, it does, that does happen, but not as much as I would like it to. And we have yet to, I think we've yet to find the drummer who has that kind of availability. Cause, uh, one of the challenges is if you get, as you seek better and better players there, they can be in demand mm-hmm. um, from other bands or as you get older as well as I'm sure you've encountered, it's like, yeah. Oh, well, you know, my kid's got a baseball game. I can't make rehearsal. And it's like, I'm stoked for you. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but my kid's got a, got a new chord progression and a kick out <laughs> rhythm and I need a drummer. <laughs> So when you, when you when you guys are playing and your 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 wife is playing the bass and she's super great to to watch and as well as you guys you know you perform and and the energy on stage is great and 
when you guys are playing, are you guys playing like like one four five type stuff, and then and then you're putting scales on top of that, and we're just playing riffs. I mean, how does the surf music work? Is it kind of like a set pattern that you guys are playing, or are they are uh, songs completely different? A, right, that's a really interesting question. Um, are, are we sure that this is a fishing podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it does. Well, my my podcast is a little bit of everything, so yeah, I like know, this. Yeah. Yeah, so Dude, go you, for it. Man, do you go, you go Royal Wolf or do you do traditional coachman, <laughs> you idiot? You know? <laughs> um, so funny. But, um, well, that's really a funny question because, uh, and I'll explain in my answer, the, yeah. um, for sure, the, uh, the more basic, like traditional rock and roll chord progression, you know, one, four, five, which, you know, yeah. every other surf band, even the vocal bands like the Beach Boys, you know, stole from, let's say, Chuck Berry. Um, whether, you know, however that's interpreted creates a great foundation. And we have a lot of songs that sort of work off of that foundation. But, mm -hmm. but we like to push it in other directions where either we deviate into slightly more exotic chord progressions. Um, and because I'm not, uh, as evolved as I'd like to be with my chord vocabulary, um, for example, you know, quality, let's say Brazilian jazz interpretations for me are, are something that I just marvel at, but I rarely, you know, I don't sit down for two hours a day, you know, trying to nurture that side of who I am. I, I wouldn't mind. And it's one of my favorite genres of music, but, um, but but where I go is, uh, since the guitar is often carrying the primary melody, I certainly enjoy deviating melodically or with my scales. So you have a, a major one, four, five chord progression, and then you have a few really predictable ways to build off of that with the, uh, a pentatonic scale mm -hmm. or a relative minor mm -hmm. or just the major scale within that scale. But I go beyond that with the help of, um, you know, deviant and sometimes ugly passing tones, um, meaning notes that don't belong within that key, but that I throw in real quickly to uh -huh. sort of change things up. Um, uh, the beauty of the electric guitar, of course, and, you know, you on the, the keyboard with the uh, pitch wheel, you know, you, is to bend the notes and that's subtle, but it's really cool. Um, uh, recently, um, we've been exploring a few like almost Hawaiian type tunes where I'm playing the lap steel. Oh, cool! And there's a and there's a certain part of the song where you know everybody knows it's slide guitar or steel guitar. You know, there's you can go between two notes, but you've got this huge sweep that the slide takes between the two notes. And um, I actually on one of the tunes, I'm building in sort of a uh, a run where I'm. I'm finger picking as the slide goes between these two notes, but it's literally like, you know, over the course of eight beats, uh, it takes me, it takes me eight, it takes me eight beats to go between two notes that are only like, you know, I don't know, four or five notes apart. So, so there's, a, there are deviant tones within that, that that make absolutely no sense but of course it's, it's a slide so it's really psychedelic and has a it's evocative and trippy and 
And it doesn't sound like I'm playing anything wrong, even though I technically, if you want to look at it scientifically, I'm right. playing it, it. I'm very wrong. Um, so you're, and, doing, uh, you're doing a lot of improvisation as you're playing up there on stage, it sounds like, as well, huh? Yeah, yeah, a lot more. Cool. It's, just, it, it's been on the increase to the point where, you know, the framework of the song gets established. We make sure the drummer understands it. Yeah. How, and fun, then, for, how fun for you, huh? Yeah, it keeps oh it really interesting, and that's why I'm usually, you know, I, I'm not always looking cool with a uh, you know a poker face, and I'm more more most of the time just have sort of a shit eating grin and just laughing my <laughs> ass off because because it's like oh that was a stupid gamble why did you try that note or you know and so I'm I'm constantly trying to mess with my own head just to keep you know not because I know that that energy of that spontaneity is translating to the crowd, you know? Yeah. So, and, and I'm, and it makes it more fun for me. I'll, you know, I'll be the first to admit. So, and, uh, and boy, like, that's, that's the short, that's the short answer to your question. Cause yeah, I cool. can keep yeah. going. I, no, I, I get it. I get it. It's awesome. Uh, I like that. I, my next question was, um, it sounds like from, uh, reading, um, information about you is that you guys are actually doing some songwriting as well and and doing stuff like that are you doing is that, is that correct? yeah you are correct and uh a lot of our the majority of our shows we play minimum 50 percent original music oh right on and, uh, very cool yeah and it. a lot of people don't realize that because we we try and make a and I'm second guessing here, but we try and make our original music so engaging that people are just like, Oh man, that was so cool. What was that? And it's like, Oh, well that was an original. And it's like, and, um, actually it's really funny, but, uh, I try to live life without too many anxieties and sources of stress, but we've been asked to play a wedding and, <laughs> and, and we were asked and we were asked because we played a party for the couple when they got engaged and we played like, you know, 80% original tunes. And it's like, uh, now you want us to play for a hundred of your friends and family and relatives. And I think, are they going to want to hear, you know, uh, footloose, yeah. um, <laughs> <Right>. shout, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm starting to bite my nails. Like, how do we make yeah. a live music set <laughs> of ours, you know, sweet for for uh, a group of people that really all just need to be pleased and and i want to do i appreciate the mission you know it's like i I like being a stubborn creative person but i also i think the reward of having a good time and sharing smiles with people i think is far more important you know are you guys are are you is that what you're doing full-time now you're not you're not guiding anymore are you or no i haven't guided in a long time and Uh yeah the the right now the only income that Rebecca and I have is through music, and that's been that way for a few years. Awesome, um, man! Congrats. That's yeah, a, that's not easy to do. It's 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 definitely not easy to do, and uh, I think um, it's it's important to add to the conversation that the only thing that has made it uh, re- uh, sort of feasible is we just try our best to keep our overhead down. Otherwise, um, yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be possible. I mean, I, I know what, you know, we were Santa Monica based and, you know, and I, I got lucky years ago with a little rent control shoebox apartment here. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't be living here. And I mean, I know what the cost of living is for most people. And it's, 
it's tough making ends meet. Um, you know, unless yeah. you have a really, a really hardcore, serious, proper career job with salary and all that. And, and I respect all that. It's just not yeah. who I am. Yeah, yeah. I get it. And are you touring with other bands too, kind of on this, on the side? I, I yeah, I've, uh, I've reduced, uh, my, uh, you know, how high I put my hand in the air for that type of opportunity because, <laughs> uh, cause, yeah, cause a few things have been happening. One is the request for, uh, Par Avion to play has, has gone up a bunch and the amount of requests in the last few months. And, um, you know, so that's, and that's desirable because this band is a better representation of what I like to do as a musician than these hired gun gigs. You know, the hired gun gigs can be really cool because of the, like yeah. the travel and the exotic locations or big shows and stuff like that. But, um, but, uh, cool. comes a time when you need to respond to what's in your heart. <laughs> hey, are they still doing those big concerts down there on the Santa Monica pier? You know, they haven't done anything for quite a while. I even oh, think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the pandemic was one of the curveballs, but also a few years ago they were throwing a few shows that got too large, and they, the city and the police department, they realized that if anything went wrong at this event, they would not, they would have been over their head. You know, dude, I went, uh, I saw, um, I went down there and I saw, um, uh, Jimmy Cliff play on the, on the pier. And you I, know and, what? And I missed that show and that probably had what, 8,000 people or something. It was insane. It was unbelievable. As far as you could see on the beach, um, looking South and then the whole entire pier was completely full. And yeah. it was just, a, a, it was amazing, amazing show. But I couldn't believe, I, what I was blown away was like how many people were actually on the beach listening. Right. You know, as far as you right. can see, it blew my mind. Yeah, and as the years as the years have gone on, uh, to the to their credit, meaning the people, yeah. um, they, uh, the, uh, the number of people who, whenever they had these events, the number of people who would opt to just like, have picnics and parties with their friends down on the sand really increased. And I thought that was super cool. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't remember there being any major incident, at least that I know of. Um, and I, again, and uh, back to my previous comment about my shoebox apartment, I live really near the pier. So yeah. I can, uh, I can open my window and hear the music and decide whether I want to run out there and watch the band. Right. And, um, but, uh, and also I can hide when it, I just get sick of the humanity, but, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of people on the sand and, and, you know, a cool history of, uh, diverse artists and that's, it, it was a good thing. And I, I think the last thing they tried doing was they brought in another promotional group. Um, it wasn't done in house and I, they started to focus after these incidents where there were too many people, they scaled it back to where it was more like indie, lesser known artists and local artists. But, um, yeah. but this year I haven't heard of anything cooking. Um, yeah, that was uh, fun. That was super fun. So that's a, that's my segue into um, the beach since you live basically on the beach. 
How's the uh, how's the Corbina been this year down there in your zone? <laughs> this year it's it's almost like uh, every few years I have a year where I'm just striking out, and I've had this you know I've had hookups, I've had numerous fish to hand that were foul hooked, you know, like they're uh-huh. I'm, I'm casting I'm casting into a pod of fish yeah. that that are visible. I'm not stripping my fly aggressively, and I still manage to foul hook one. You know, I think they feel the the tickle of the hook, and then they bolt. And when they bolt, they accidentally hook themselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I always feel I always feel so dirty. But this year's been my worst year, so uh, it's funny. And um, and you- I started a little late. I was a little bit too busy, and I was out of town a lot when uh, um, when they were at their prime, but um, I'm not saying that to make any excuses. But timing is certainly a huge part of the game. And sure. Earlier in the, earlier in the season, they seem to be a little quicker to bite, um, but they're so entertaining, you know. I and uh, were you seeing a lot um, down there? Were you seeing a, a bunch that hanging out, cruising around? It it, it varies, but it's consistent um, yeah. in the sense that you know there's a certain time frame in the summer when you can you can go out there even at the wrong tide and you know, scare up a few by wading through the shallows or mm-hmm. or just walk on dry sand and look for the telltale you know uh, wakes or see a, a back sticking out of the water or something like that. Um, but one thing I did see this year, which I haven't seen in a while, were a few of these classic pods where it's like, oh, I just lined a fish it just bolted and when it bolted it it scared 15 other fish yeah you know and that used to happen a lot more and so seeing that happen this year was kind of cool it didn't happen a lot but it was encouraging um that's cool that yeah so you were in northern california it sounds like for a while and and uh i think um you were working at uh creative sports Correct, and yeah. it, it, it's so funny because the way you uh, you say all that, it's like, oh yeah, well, I I quit a year ago or whatever. But this is we're talking when I was, yeah, I was like twelve to fourteen, you oh, know, no and, way. Uh, yeah, and like Andre Puyon said before, I'm going to put you to work, but you got to go to the state board of equalization and get get <laughs> get a permit to work as a minor, your parents have to sign, you know, all this stuff, all of these formalities. So oh, that's that cool. I, so that <laughs> I, and yeah, it was really cool. And I, and three, uh, three or four other kids, you know, varying from, you know, early teens to like mid to late teens, you know, we're working in like one of the offices or one of the back rooms doing basically, you know, you know, shit work for (laughs) you know like like packing uh packing ziploc bags with uh dubbing material or wrapping chenille wrapping chenille onto cardboard cards and stuffing them into (laughs) bags stapling the the tops to them and it was uh but it was fun we would listen to the radio and we would just uh just hang out and and talk fly fishing all day long which was you know to be to be amongst other young people, meaning again, like let's just call it early to mid teens who are obsessed with fly fishing and fly tying was kind of, you know, it's just, I don't think it's easy to find if you're a oh, right. kid 
For sure. You know, like where can you just go, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to spend Saturday afternoon time flies with my buddies, you know, and I'm 13 years old. I, I just don't hear that very often from anybody with kids. So were you, were you, um, were you fishing as a little kid up there? Were you, was it like the trucky and, that, yeah, so zone? what happened was uh, I, I I discovered that I could um, drag a uh, – I was already, like, captivated by fishing in general. Um, and, you know, whatever, I'd throw – 11 years old, throwing salmon eggs into a stocked section of Lake Tahoe or something on while on summer vacation, and that was paradise. And But uh, shortly – after that, again, maybe my early teens at the latest, I, I had a funny moment where I was on a, this is a good story. I was on a vacation with uh, um, my mother visiting friends of hers in Quebec, and I was fishing for yellow perch with live crickets under a bobber, and a, a northern pike took my bobber <laughs> and, cool. and cut the line. And then the bobber came like floating up to the surface a little later, and I retrieved my rig. Um, but, uh, I was trying to figure out what am I, you know, how can I fool this fish? So I went back to the, the cabin and they had like a little tool shed and I put together a little improvised mouth fly lure using a, uh, cork, like a wine cork. And I went back the next day and I, I had no luck whatsoever, but, but I was inspired, you know? And yeah. when we got back, when we got back home and I was living in Walnut Creek, you know, I always remember we drove by this shop and it had this huge sign on it, like the size of like a garage door. And it said fly fishing only. So it's pretty, <laughs> pretty obnoxious, you know, it's like don't, don't even come here unless you're going to talk fly fishing. And, and I said, and I thought to myself, well, fly fishing, isn't there something called fly tying, which I kind of had a familiarity with. So I got to check this out. And I walked in there and, uh, um, Andre was there and immediately he just, you know, sat me down at the vice and showed me a bunch of flies, you know, tied an AP nymph in front of me, tied the classic, he had this loop wing pattern that was kind of fun, you know, sort of an interpretation using a loop instead of a tuft of, let's say, mallard flank on like a traditional dry, like a Cahill or something. And anyway, you know, after 20 minutes of this, I was just so sold. It's like, I can be creative and still think fishing at the same time, you know? And, uh, so, so I, I, you know, my relationship with the shop developed there. And then of course it's like, look, I've got, how can I, how can I be more involved? And so Andre was always cooking stuff up and he had his, he had a whole group of the young people that were part of his, the Diablo Valley fly fishing clubs, uh, youth program. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. 
You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For a long time, the Diablo Valley Club was always the dominant force with fly tying competitions for the for the kids. Okay. In uh, at the Conclave, which was at West in West Yellowstone at the time, I'm, I'm not sure if that still exists or where it is now. But um, but so I was one of the competitors actually on I think in '78 or '79, and no way. Three of us, three of us from Diablo Valley were first, second, and third place, and. The guy who took third first was a killer. He was the kind of guy where it's like, man, if I, you know, I could be as good as you, but I'm not ready to sacrifice the time. <laughs> and then, and then maybe, and you know, it's like with music that maybe he had the aptitude too, because we all know that that, you know, he, he just had a knack for he could tie the most perfect anything that you wanted. And he was like again, like 13. And um, but I was also in paradise because here we are in West Yellowstone for like three or four days and every other hotshot fly fisherman in and woman in on planet earth is hanging out and they're all sneaking. They're all sneaking off to go fishing. Yeah. So, and as, as uh, competitors, you could just submit your flies at any time over like the course of two or three days. So it's like, Oh, I'll tie my Adams this afternoon and I'm going to go, you know, hit the Madison. And so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just a funny story of just being distracted by wanting to fish instead of become a master fly tire. And, uh, and, you know, and we all know that a crappy looking fly can do the job. Sure. You know, what's so cool about your story is, you know, it says a lot about Andy uh, or Andre or, yeah, is that, yeah, Andre. Andre, Andre yeah. yeah, and he, um, you know, just bringing you in and sitting you down and doing that, you know, and and just doing that and being able to inspire a kid, and then you know, look at you, you look at, look at how much you're guiding or or teaching other people how to tie flies or passing on the the sport, right. you know, is is pretty darn incredible, you know. And, I I agree. Yeah, he set the he helped steer me in a reasonably good path um, because of his his kindness and his generosity. There's no question about it. And, and and that's one of the beautiful things about the sport in general, you know, is that I still find so many people in the sport that are just such good souls. And uh, um, Re- Rebecca, who's really fallen in love with fly fishing, I think a lot of her stoke for the sport has been, uh, uh, what would you say, facil- you know, facilitated or it, it, she's benefited from meeting all of these good people that are, you know, that are just like, oh, well, here's, you know, here's an extra, you know, two or three flies since I see that you guys are running out on these. Rebecca, try, try one of these, you know, or, you know, she has these interactions with the fly fishing community in general that are so positive that it's uh, – it's actually been good for our relationship. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, um, 
let's talk about your um, your deal that you got going on with uh, Caltrout. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's that's that's uh, well, it kind of started with. I think the real catalyst was Mikey Weir um, not always being able to be in the field in Southern California to get certain, uh, to document certain areas that were important to Cal Trout's agenda. So uh, the most obvious ones and the, and the ones that I participated in the most are the, uh, the dams at uh, Ringe in Malibu on Malibu Creek and Matillaha on Matillaha Creek, of course, right there next adjacent and, tributary to the Ventura River. Um, and and so a lot of the quote-unquote work has been really simply just like running up to these locations and getting some footage and key photographs that might be of use to um, all of the sort of the lobbying and the, the advocacy that Caltrout is doing in a way that honestly is just, to me it's like, it's intimidating to even visualize the amount of work that their inner, you know, their, their core team is capable of doing. And, uh, currently they are really, uh, what would you say? Picking up the pace or have made great strides. That might be the best way to phrase it in, uh, the, the dismantling of some of the dams in California, um, some of them being derelict, like the ones on Matillaha Creek or Malibu yeah. Creek, where they where they don't function at all, and they're a hundred percent full of silt. There's no water retention. There's, they serve zero purpose. They're not even deep enough up above them to be swimming holes anymore. People, you know, would sometimes use the, the pool above as a swimming hole. You can't even do that. And um, and uh, but I've always, for years, even prior to the Mikey Weir thing, I've, I've always been a little bit of, of a loud mouth trying to, like, talk to people at different organizations, be it NOAA, Caltrout, Trout Unlimited, Department of Fish and Wildlife. It's like, hey, wait a minute. We need to fix the regulations on Creek XYZ because I just went hiking there, and it's full of trout. And yeah, I went hiking there the next week, and it was full of, you know, yeah styrofoam worm buckets and all the trout were gone and you're not planting there. These are wild fish or whatever, you know, so I'm in my sort of layman's amateurish kind of way, it was just sort of like just getting up on a soapbox all the time about trout issues. So to do anything where I can contribute to an organization who's really got it together and, you know, I don't have the, the, the experience as an advocate in the way that some of their their team does. Uh, I'm not an attorney and all that stuff. It's, yeah. uh, it's been beautiful. And then more recently, yeah, we've, uh, we've, it's been stepped up where I think they recognize the uh, outdoor activities that Rebecca and I love to do, um, especially in Southern California is something that helps tell a good story. And so yes. we've been, we've been woven in as, uh, we did a social media takeover for them and we've, uh, what does that mean? We've gotten a lot, like we've gotten are- a lot more involved. You guys are taking care of all their social media? No, we, we did a we, – we were invited to spend a week making roughly uh, – it was like a once a day to make a post on their social media um, that, you know, was sort of – at the end of the day, we kind of created a, a series of anecdotal 
images that kind of told the story of the plight of Southern California trout populations, of course, with a, an emphasis on the wild and native, uh, you know, uh, stashes, for lack of a better word, you know, or yep. it's like, oh, you know, that tiny little creek up there, those are actually 99% still pure steelhead, even though they're 30 miles inland and all that. But, you know, yeah. but, but coloring it up, like, well, here's, here's a, here's a hole where you can see a trout and then here's that same hole a month later and it's got carp and largemouth bass because, you know, the water warmed up and the trout moved away and the other fish moved in. And mm-hmm. so a, a variety of little posts like that to, I guess, add a lot, add some color and interest to their, uh, to, to the, to the face of cow trout and, uh, yeah. and to better illustrate how they're, you know, approaching everything. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, a good experience for us. And Caltrout was actually quite pleased because uh, uh, there was an an increase in their social media engagement. And so nice. everybody looks for that, you know. Oh, for sure. Awesome. And you were doing some, like, uh, drone stuff or were you? Right. Yeah. And some of the footage I got off the dams, like Matillaha and uh, Ringe, were, was using a drone. And yeah. I'm an amateur drone pilot, but boy, drones are Aren't super they, fun. They're awesome, they're, huh? Oh, they're so fun. I got a little bit of drone footage also up at Rush Creek, which is super cool because, you know, we all know how beautiful and interesting that landscape is in the Eastern Sierra. And, yeah. and just to, and just to fly a drone, even like, you know, whatever, like a quarter of a mile, 30 feet off the ground. And then just look back at the footage. It's just such, it's just so cool. I mean, and it's whatever. It's not like I'm at the Grand Canyon or it's, it's just, it's just fun and interesting. And of course, uh, you know, it's luckily I can, uh, every now and then I can apply it to something helpful. Um, and, and I mentioned Rush Creek because Cal Trout is actually involved up there as well. Are they? Yeah, with uh, I believe with uh, flow management, I think that was their the primary um, uh, fix that that watershed needed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah just, that I don't know if um, Caltrout. Have you heard of them being involved in the in the uh, uh, meadows? You know, some of the meadows in in the Southern Sierra. Have you heard anything going on with that? Actually, no? I believe the answer is yes but I'm not sure about recently, uh-huh. but I do know that um, they have been, uh, I would say increasing the number of uh, missions or fights or whatever you want to call it, uh, uh-huh. agendas. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not looking at their website right now, but it's pretty intimidating because if you go to their website, you can, you can look at the catalog of all of the, all of the, watersheds that they are part, you know, doing some sort of taking some sort of action in, if you will. That's awesome. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it's interesting you bring that up too, because now we can really get, this is really like rolling up our sleeves and talking about trout in mm-hmm. California. But the, um, one of our posts that Rebecca and I made on Cal Trout's Instagram page got a, got a response from somebody it was of a brown trout and it was, a, you know, and it's like brown trout are not native to Northern to California. And, but here they are. And I forgot how we phrased it, but somebody chimed in and said, well, what do you guys do? 
are you guys doing anything about the brown trout in the Trinity River? Or it was something like that. And yeah. it, it was hard not to think that there was a little bit of attitude. Mm-hmm. And, and then somebody else was also saying, oh, and what about the trout in the East Fork San Gabriel River? And, you know, these were things that I don't, I, I can say with reasonable confidence, we're not high on Cal Trout's agenda because the they can't address every single sure. trout trout riddle or challenge in the state, and we have to. We, it took me a long time to take that into consideration. Back, like back to my earlier comment about uh, finding trout in certain parts of Southern California and realizing that they're not being really paid much attention to, but mm-hmm. also coming to the conclusion that, well, maybe it's better to save the steelhead in Malibu Creek than this particular particular population, you know, up in this funky corner of the San Bernardinos or something like that. Right. So, you know, you know what's, what's the thing? You know what's interesting? Your battles. It's been going on, you know, I've been, you know, I've had my shop for 20 years now. And wow. I know, isn't that crazy? And what's crazy is the, the Kern River Rainbow Project and the Golden Trout and the Little Kern Golden Trout, you know, the ones that we have here, you know, the, the whole thing going on with the Kern River Rainbow and, you know, um, they just recently shut down our, the hatchery where they were going to bring native Kern River Rainbows from way up in the high country and put them in there, put them in the hatchery. But now that's been put on hold. But for 20, oh, I'm for, so sorry to hear that. I thought that that was such a cool, like, right. Uh, a cool piece of progress, on, yeah. you know, and, and it's, uh, oh, and so, there's, so, so there's a whole bunch of drama going on right now politically with, uh, with all that. So, you know, just, it's in the 20 years that I've been here and, um, I've seen, you know, progress and then progress gets smashed and then, you know, well, here we go. We're getting, we're getting new hatchery, you know, um, and they actually start building it and doing all that. And then all of a sudden that shuts down and, so I don't know, man. It's just it's just kind of kind of a bummer. Um, but I'm you know I'm always hopeful that it'll get it get up uh, back up and running. You know, hopefully, we'll see. Oh man, yeah. And um, actually, I'm I'm now kind of multitasking. I'm looking at the Caltrout website, and there is um, there is a section addressing the Kern River Rainbow, but I'm not sure if it, I'm having trouble seeing whether or not it actually cites a particular action in progress, but Caltrout definitely recognizes the Kern River Rainbow. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm thoroughly fascinated by that watershed uh, where you live because the evolution of the golden trout and the Kern River Rainbow as well as best as I understand, is the result of a, an unusual amount of isolation that those trout had from other trout populations in California because of how far south you guys are, that drainage is yeah. in the, in the quote-unquote San Joaquin system. I mean, you can, it, yeah. it, 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 you know, and that uh, allegedly there was a time when I believe it was Thule Lake served yeah. as sort of a, you know, massive inland lake served as sort of an intermediate intermediary sea that once every now and then during unusually wet years could have connected to the San Joaquin River and could have allowed for an exchange of genetics. But but a lot of the time the genetics were isolated and 
you know, those, especially those golden, they just sort of like got stuck way up there and just got colorful and yeah, did their a, thing. It's an interesting story for sure. You know, and it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a big process. You know, I was, in, I was involved in, you know, getting some of the samples of the Carnival Rainbow way back when, um, you know, and we fished up the river um, pretty far and then got way back up into the Golden Trout Wilderness and into the National Park. And, you know, now some other people are finding, you know, some of the uh, uh, Kern River Rainbow and other areas that are supposedly pure strain, you know, up in Big Arroyo Creek, way up, you know, you're starting to get up towards the the headwaters of the Kings, you know, flowing in on the other side, you know. And, oh, right. So is, know, that, is that Sequoia? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. All I that's, love it. I know. It's all connected, you know. And um, I know you've spent some time on the Kings, too, which is another amazing, oh, amazing my God. place, right? Totally. And those, that and the, conversation, conversation ends right there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You, I wanted to ask you, one of my other questions I wanted to ask you was, do you miss guiding? Um, I I get asked that now and then, um, yeah. and the answer is I miss certain moments. Uh, the The work that guides have to put in yeah. is just incredible, and um, I know that the type of guiding and the locations I was guiding brought their own challenges. You know, uh, it, it wasn't like a five mile drive down the road with a river boat and a drift. You know, um, it was. It was different, um, but uh, the moments I missed were kids. When when you dealt with, when you worked with kids that were enthusiastic, and the fishing was half decent, it was nothing but a riot because they've got tons of energy. They're willing to, you know, you can coach them most of the time into being patient and persistent. Um, there, I always say that some of the funniest moments where, you know, you deal with a kid that's like, you know, tiny, like whatever, three and a half, four feet tall. And you, and you see a fish holding on the other side of a boulder. That's like, you know, it's not very big. It's like the size of a beach ball. And you just say, you know, just sneak up behind that boulder. I'll be right behind you and just drift your fly on the other <laughs> side of the boulder, you know, and because they're so short, you know, yeah. They, they can sneak up and they love, you know, a lot of you know, children love a challenge uh, or at least the many that I dealt with, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, I get to sneak up on this fish. This is going to be exciting, you know, and so moments like those were great. Um, but, yeah, the work and the time, and it's just, I have so much admiration for people who who guide, you know, and, and we all know that you, most of the guides that you see sort of like tough in their chest, and I mean that in a good way, or that you yeah. see in in on videos and stuff um they're they're young you know and uh and and it's it's important to have that stamina and energy so um yeah but i think if you have the opportunity to introduce people to the to the sport in a favorable light it's i think you're you're doing a good deed um it's just uh but you know, you've you've guided a thousand times more than I have, and you know how much work it is. You know, one of the things that um, over the years, you know, with the different, uh, you know, fires and, you know, um, that we have here, and you know, uh, smoky conditions, bad water conditions, hot water, hot river uh, temperatures, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it's forced me 
over the years to seek out other species, you know, and start, right. and start guiding for, you know, all these other different species. And I, and I really enjoy that part of, of being a guide and, and an instructor is, you know, seeking out these other types of fish that not a lot of people would normally fish for and trying to sell that to them. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. And I applaud, I applaud, I applaud you so much for that. And I, one of my favorite things that you post, um, is the, uh, is the footage of your, your like tubing for bass we gotta in go the do warmer that. sections of the Kern. Yeah. And, you know, and I get it. I enjoy largemouth and smallmouth bass fishing big time. I mean, I was really into that as a kid. I was, I was tying crawdad flies and deer hair poppers when I was getting into fly fishing and I was going to local ponds up in Northern California and fly fishing for largemouth and loving it. And so, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I really applaud you. And you know, it's, yeah, I had mentioned, I think in an email to you that, you know, some of the, alt, some of the topics we can touch upon were, and then I mentioned, I think, carp yeah you know, that's, that like, was my next topic <laughs> it's 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 like you know what i as, as and again it might be an age thing or i don't know maybe i'm, I'm just uh, spent too much time just walking the beach and meditating on life but you know it's, to me i sometimes think of fishing as uh prone to a certain type of uh bias that you know it's almost like racism i mean i'm being very extreme by using that yeah. word but it's like it's like, you know, there's those people that they'll catch a carp and they'll immediately throw it on the bank. I yeah. mean, sure, the sure the carp doesn't belong in, you know, isn't it as an introduced species and all that, but you're not going to just throw a brown trout up on the bank. Right. Um, so, you know, what's going on inside of our heads that makes one fish, quote unquote, more important or superior to the other? And so I've really tried to be like a little bit more conscientious, you know, I'm whatever I'm on a trout stream and I see a school of chubs go by and it's not like, Oh damn, I wish those were baby trout, but it's more like, well, those chubs are actually native to this river. So, you know, they're important and a big trout's probably going to eat a few of those to stay healthy. And, um, but yeah, the carp thing up at Isabella, you know, I've only done it. I've only done it a, once. <laughs> yeah, well, you came up with uh, your partner, Lino, and and won the dang thing. Yeah, and that, and that was really it was really spontaneous. He literally told me the night before or something oh, like, no you way. know what? Yeah, he said, you didn't know that? He said, my partner, uh-uh. my partner, my partner is going to back out or has a change of plans. I forgot what the story was. I think maybe his partner ended up going with another partner, but but it's like, I've got, you know, I, I, I need a teammate for tomorrow's thing you want to do it and I was thinking well Lino is so such a kick-ass angler that I can just go and eat a sandwich and take a nap and we'll probably still we'll probably we'll probably still win um and my my original intent my original goal was to attend and actually do drone footage because oh that's right yeah because the, you know, the, the wind was calm those trout are congregating or trout those carp are congregating in the shallows and it's a it's a really cool visual oh but, for sure um, absolutely yeah purely from a visual perspective it's, a, it's totally a riot and i plan to go up next year oh awesome hopefully hopefully maybe even a day early so i can just do the um yeah. uh 
footage. Yeah. But, uh, so let's talk. But about- I really I enjoy the car because yeah. uh, I mean, like many, you know, I've I've found that it fights hard, you know, and sometimes it doesn't want to eat, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, any and we anglers love to torture ourselves, right? When it's like the Corbina thing, it's like this is stupid. I've cast in front of <laughs> right in front of these fish a thousand times, and I've gotten one take, and it's like. This, so, this is supposed to be the lowly carp, you know, the inferior <laughs> fish, and here it is telling me to take a hike. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, um, how did you guys go about your, you know, what, like fly-wise and stuff like when you were in, at Isabella, you know, at the uh, oh, carp Oh, you know fest, what? Uh, Finally it, someone asked, and I, and I, I spoke with Chalky, um when that whole event was wrapping up, and I said, you know, when we were at Carp Throwdown, sometimes we would, like, Press somebody to like discuss technique or like yeah. what part of the lake is better. You know, if don't we want to come out of this? Yeah, we want to come out of this away from this experience with a little bit more than absolutely. You know, the food in our tummies and our raffle prizes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, and so what was funny about Lino and I was that for starters, we've we've only fished together a few times, mostly in the surf here in uh, Santa Monica, and. And it was very casual and not very, like, uh, we weren't being very methodical. It's like, oh, you know, I'm getting more hits on the chartreuse clouds, or, oh, you better change to a chartreuse clouds, or whatever. Um, and what was also interesting was, because of the spookiness of the carp or the skittish behavior, uh, we distanced ourselves from one another considerably. So I, 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 And it kind of went without saying, but I think we were trying not to spook each other's fish. And we were also trying to find the richest concentrations of fish mm-hmm. and and I was actually just telling Rebecca yesterday about this that or somebody I forget who but the majority of that day I we were at minimum like 500 feet away from each other there were and the only way we could communicate was by text or by phone yeah. so even, <laughs> even even though we were quote unquote partners we were working really far from each other and then but more importantly, we were trading tips. Oh, sure. And, and so there were two or three key tips, and what, you know, they might go more in one direction or the other. But, for example, Lino was definitely helping me with fly selection, and it turned out that there was a little bit of a preference um, for a certain type of fly. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was a wacky concoction that he has that's, not too different from that. Uh, I think it was like that carp coachman that you guys have. Yeah. If I remember the name correctly. Yeah. But so there was, there was a dialogue about flies and his recommendation definitely brought me into more fish. Um, I was already getting fish, but they were, it was helpful. And then the other, the, my discovery, and I, I did share it with Lino, but I think at this point his fish count was already so, you know, rocking that, I don't even know if he cared what my tip was, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I noticed that, you know, obviously the, the carp were kind of engaged in two things. They were either feeding or rooting around or jousting with one another and courting for spawning. Um, and at least that's, that's what I'm, my deduction from the way they were behaving. And you could really tell which fish were doing what. But one of the funniest things I noticed was that sometimes when they were rooting around, they literally would have their head buried 
into either like a submerged bundle of like a mm-hmm. mustard flour with a little bit of like algae or mm-hmm. moss or something, um, or or just in a bundle of uh, algae or whatever, and and you could sort of you could sneak up on them, and it was this was kind of funny too because the majority of the fish I caught I was dapping, I wasn't casting. Yeah, and and I uh, one of the things I noticed was that they would respond to vibration. So I would put the fly in front of them, literally dropping it on a heavy leader through the sticks. Mm-hmm. So it was maybe I mean I'm it's crazy. It sounds so unethical and sounds so not fly fishing, but I would drop it like yeah, you know three or four inches in front of their nose and literally just bounce it and they would sense the vibration and then I could feel that telltale like click or that inhalation like when a largemouth bass takes a rubber worm or something Mm -hmm. and then I would just set the hook and because I had a heavy leader I wasn't too worried about like being broken off because of uh, plant plants and stuff and snags And lo and behold, I would have a hookup and the fish would bolt and do a few runs and eventually I'd fight it in and totally fair hooked, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sounds exactly exactly how uh, you're supposed to do it out there, that's for sure. I mean, it's not, it's not sexy, but it was, but it wasn't, but it wasn't art, it is an art form, you know? It is. It was, it was cool. And so. Half of it, half half of it's just being stealthy, you know? Yeah. And. Yeah, and that was huge. Yeah, be the heron, and you, know, yeah. you knew you were in an area that was rich with fish. If you just stood perfectly still for two minutes, eventually something would cruise really close to you. Um, yeah, it's sure. very entertaining, man. I mean, so I, fun. I I'm very it. curious about the the ecosystem of that lake. You probably have just seen it go through so many phases, but this is the lowest um, I've ever seen it. It's unbelievably gosh. low. It's it's crazy low. And it's uh, oh. it's almost done. I think they're almost done with uh, you know the the construction and stuff. So if we get a big snow year or something like that, it'll fill back up, you know. But it's uh, right. I've never seen it this bad before. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. Now it has a cool. It has a. a my understanding is it has a a fantastic crappie population. Oh my gosh! Yeah, world record's going to come out of there for sure. Oh wow! I'm, I'm hoping. It. I'm hoping. <laughs> Wow. So when I'm, do those do those landlocked salmon still exist there? Do they still is that still yeah. being nurtured? Yeah. So we we do have those uh, those Chinook and Kokanee that are in there, and they'll come up uh, the river. They stock it. You know, they stock the the lake um, every year with little wow. guys, and then they eat the shad and keep the shad population down, and then they end up coming up the river, and then it's kind of a mystery after that. You know, the farthest I've seen them up is you know, three or four miles up river. Um, uh-huh. And that's about it. I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them up at the Fairview dam, but I've seen them around the first powerhouse area. You know, we've, right. got, we've caught them in there, but it's kind of cool, you know, kind of an interesting yeah. thing that goes on for sure. But, but, but they won't restore the Kern river rainbow with the same enthusiasm. <laughs> exactly. It's, you it's know, bizarre. It's bizarre. Back to, back to my comment about how, I mean, the sort of picking of favorites that happens in the angling and sport fishing and, and fisheries world. Yeah. We have, well, we have, a, we have some interesting stuff that goes on, um, 
you know, from a planting aspect too, you know, like they, they stock the river with triploid fish, you know, that can't reproduce. Oh, right. And, you know, in preparation for the Kern River Rainbow, but they'll stock Lake Isabella with producing rainbow trout. And, you know, so it's kind of, it just, it doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, maybe they know, maybe they know more than I do on that stuff, but I just don't understand it because all those fish end up coming up the river as well, you know. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't, I can't answer to that too much, except I, I do have, I did have a conversation recently with, um, Andy down in, uh, of Caltrout down and other members of Caltrout at a recent, uh, outing that was uh, held up at Malibu Creek. And one of the conversations that came up was sort of this, uh, the question of, um, maintaining a certain genetic pedigree, Mm-hmm. of a of a region or i mean of a watershed or a river and it much to my amazement the stretch of piru creek between lake piru and pyramid lake yeah still has trout that are of extremely high uh um genetic integrity uh as far as their relation to coastal steelhead or coastal rainbow oh, you know right? proper proper native fish and but and the reason and i'm prefacing the fact that for decades that was a, a really heavily stocked area yes yeah and sure. including the including the lake itself yes. um uh, Pi, lake piru downstream actually and pyramid for that matter but of course there's spillway or the dam or turbines or i don't know what but yeah um but all i'm i, I guess the, the the crux of what i'm trying to say is that the genetic integrity somehow survive even of, despite all of this all of these other introductions so you know um, i'm being optimistic here that maybe despite uh, these fish that are capable of reproducing that are coming into the lake that are being planted might not interfere should they uh, continue with a some sort of reintroduction of the current river rainbow um, in the main river well, and, you know, sometimes I, I think about, sorry, I, I, real okay. quick just before I forget, I think about that, that whole Pilot's Peak strain of Lahontan Cutthroat, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, bringing an old strain into the original, the founding strain back into the lake, into a lake that already had other, you know, less uh, intact genetics and, uh, and making their mark. Right, absolutely. So I wanted to ask you one last uh, question, and um, I always ask everybody at the uh, at the end of the podcast is like, you know, uh, what they've been listening to music wise, and uh, and kind of talk about that a little bit. Do you have anything that you've been listening to um, oh, musically, or is it a ton? <laughs> right, it's. It's a ton, but I can't remember anything that's really sticking out because it's. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm quite frustrated with music, uh, as you know, as far as what. What's out there? I, yeah, I mean, I when I am seeking something out, and then I suddenly like can spend a whole long drive listening to one genre of music. It's. Uh, I think a lot of it has been. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of 
categorize it as, you know, the music of a certain country or of a certain culture. Cause I want to, I want to, I want to be sort of shaken out of my own listening world. So like, okay, I'm going to listen to music from Thailand or I'm going <laughs> to listen to, or I'm going to listen to, you know, Brazilian, there's a, there's a genre Rebecca and I love called, um, Choro, which is from Brazil, and it's sort of like gypsy jazz on steroids. I mean, it's oh, cool. It's it's the tightest, most intricate. You know, like it could be a guitar and a clarinet, and they're just shredding and ripping off of each other for like a four minute piece of music. And by the end of that, you're like ready to put all of your musical gear on Craigslist. It's just like <laughs> this is this this is. Some incredible musicians totally out there, huh? <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, yeah. And I've only been to Brazil once, but even the worst, the, the shadiest little back alley street musician was better than 99% of the musicians <laughs> I know personally. So, I mean, a, a huge tip of the hat to anything Brazilian. But, um, uh, and, you know, just for fun, yesterday I listened to a record that I used to love years ago, which was, uh, and, and it's kind of funny to bring this one up because it's so different than what I just uh, described. Um, this album called "I Against I" by Bad Brain. Oh, and, really? You know, okay. Bad, yeah. And 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 it's sort of it's it's not the DC hardcore punk that Bad Brains is known for. It's a little bit more metal, kind of uh, in the direction of uh, Metallica or the Deftones. Um, oh, wow. And it was just it was just one album, and it's and it's so tightly arranged, it's so beautifully recorded, and it's so visceral. It, you know, it's one of those records where it's like, oh my gosh, I, I still have a hundred miles to drive, and it's you know midnight, and I'm tired from whatever being on the river all day. You put on this record, and you'll be home before you know it. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's like high, it's like super high energy. I don't know if you'd call it angry music, but it's you know, somebody who doesn't understand it. It's, I mean, the lyrics are actually, some of them are quite political and proper punk rock, you know, screw the system kind of lyrics, but <laughs> beautiful, beautiful band and very different than the Brazilian stuff I just described. So, I, 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 Oh man, I, you, you got, you got me talking, man. That's awesome. Perfect. Well, Bernard, thanks so much for being on the, on the podcast, man. Um, really appreciate it. And, um, we, we could go on and on. I'm sure we'll have to get you on here again one of these days. I would love it. And, uh, it, it always bums me out that we don't hang more. Um, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be in Ventura next week, right? You yeah, said. I am. Let's go fish. Yeah. And starting when again, roughly? Um, Wednesday through Sunday. Okay. All yeah. right. With a little luck, we'll cross paths. And uh, sounds good. Um, thank you so much, man. We'll be in yeah. touch. Okay, bud. Well, I'll see you in, on the eighth for sure. All right. Yeah, that's gonna be great. Okay. All bud. right. Take All it right. easy. We'll talk later. Bye bye. Later. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm Guy Jeans, your host. Hope you enjoyed it. Catch you next time. Miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. 
every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.